0: E a voz entendecida <risos> da Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from airplane, from the flight attendants, and from pilots, and from traveling around the world. In this episode, we have stories about passengers behaving badly, some flight attendant crew rest situations, and a lot of this episode is actually taken from a BBC documentary called Come Fly With Me, The Story of Pan Am. A listener named Steve sent me this documentary. You can see it on YouTube. It's an hour-long documentary. I will put a link on my website. It's fantastic. The way they put it together, it's informational, it's touching, it's nostalgic, and I just love all the stories from the Pan Am flight attendants and pilots, and I love all the old glamour, airline, everything. So, I have put together some of the highlights from the documentary, interspersed with the normal Betty in the Sky with the Suitcase stories. <laughs> and this episode is sort of like a walk down Pan Am memory lane.
1: You felt almost privileged to be able to get on board a Pan Am plane.
2: Pan Am was the airline to get on. I mean, it was the most glamorous thing possible.
3: Everybody looked tough to what Pan Am did
4: worldwide.
3: Oh, I just remember the girls. They couldn't do enough.
5: Another town, another man.
0: (laughs) So I was going on this trip, and it was like a two-day layover. We were all excited about going on the trip. It was an all-female crew. And um, we got on the airplane, and the purser and the galley girl start snipping at each other. Before the passengers got on, it started getting tense. Uh, I was in and out of the galley in the front and I would hear things like, um, uh, this is my galley, and I have all these things to do, and you shouldn't be in here. And the purser was like, "I have to be in here. I have to count the meals, you know. I have to take entree orders." And the galley girl was like, "This is my galley," and I was like, "Ooh, this is uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't. I don't like confrontation. I don't. I don't like <laughs> his stress." And uh, I kept leaving and thinking this isn't good. And then um, in my galley, and the and the galley girl come back and they're looking at me and they go, um, the purser says, you know, we are having a personality conflict and would you be willing to switch positions and work the front galley because we cannot work together. And I was thinking, Ooh, oh, this is uncomfortable. But I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. Okay. <laughs> I hate all that stuff, and it's weird to go into somebody else's galley after they've been setting it up their way, but I'm thinking, okay, all right, no problem, and I was saying to the purser, you can come in here all you want, I don't care, it's all okay, it's all good, <laughs> and um, it went fine, I had no problem with the purser, she was a, she was totally pleasant, I don't know what the other girl's problem was, but um, on international flights, after the service is done, half of the crew goes to crew rest and the other half of the crew is awake and working. And at one point I walked to the back of the airplane and I started talking to the girl back there and as I am want to do, I started telling stories and the two of us are laughing. I think we were talking for like 15 minutes and the two of us were having a good old time and laughing and uh, I said, oh, you know what, you probably don't even know that we have a personality conflict and there was silence and she starts looking at me like and she says we do she, she thought that I was saying that I had a personality conflict with her how weird would that be that I am like laughing and talking and then all of a sudden say um by the way we have a personality conflict she's like we do and I'm like, no, 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 not the two of us. It was the purser and the galley girl. That's so why I had to switch positions. And she was like, oh boy, because, you know, I thought that was weird. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm like, oh, we're laughing and I'm telling jokes and I'm telling stories. And all of a sudden I go, um, and we have a personality conflict. And she's like, we do?
2: trips ...secured access to exotic new destinations across Central and South America and acquired a series of larger seaplanes that could land in cities with no airports and carry passengers in comfort and style. In the beginning, there were only male flight
5: attendants. The job of the steward was to row people out to the seaplanes, load baggage, buy food in the middle of nowhere
0: so we were doing crew rest and it was the second crew rest and on this particular airplane they're about the size of coach seats slightly bigger than a coach seat with a foot rest and we had this it was a Rome flight and we had this male flight attendant who was relatively new a very nice happy-go-lucky guy and he was a big guy he, he wasn't fat. He was muscular, and he said later that he weighed two hundred and fifty pounds, and that's big for a flight attendant. You know, we used to have weight restrictions, but all that stuff is gone. And like I said, he wasn't fat. He was, he was muscular and in good shape, but a big guy. And he was in there's the four crew rest seats, and he was sitting in the first row on the aisle, and almost to the end of their crew rest. He broke the seat. He actually, the back of the seat went all the way back into the lap of the guy flight attendant behind him. Thank goodness it was a guy because if it had been a a small girl, he could have hurt her. (laughs) Let alone, it was a big jolt, you know. He was asleep and all of a sudden he's got this 250-pound guy in his lap. (laughs) And I felt bad for the new flight attendant because he got up and he was like, I I broke it. And he... (laughs) We started calling him Bam Bam because remember on the Flintstones how Bam Bam used to break things and I just felt sorry for him because he was like, I broke the chair.
2: Pan American had become a byword for glamour and sophistication. But for one trip, that wasn't enough. He'd been secretly planning a project no other commercial airline would have dared attempt, the crossing of the
3: Pacific Ocean. It was extremely difficult. I think young people today think airplanes were always here, and they don't realize how hard it was to get across that 10,000 miles.
2: Overcoming all obstacles, on November the 22nd, 1935, Pan Am's China Clipper began the world's first Trans-Pacific service, departing from San Francisco, California, and island-hopping its way to Manila in the Philippines. A journey that took over three weeks by ship, now took six days.
0: Okay, so we were just in crew rest, and you were sleeping next to me, and I look over, and you weren't in a sitting position. You had your torso on the seat bottom, but where was
4: the rest of you? Well my butt was on the footrest.
0: Okay, your butt was on the footrest. Yeah. yeah,
4: and then my feet on my legs are on my bag. On They're your on bag. It. And then there's a shelf up underneath with the where the computer is and my feet go on.
0: And so this was comfortable for you. Yeah, it's great. Has it ever in life It's better to lay flat, right? Uh Has this ever posed any problems?
4: Yeah, I've been sat on a couple of times. (laughs) (laughs) People don't think you're there and they just sit on you. (laughs) This is it the first American commercial jet capable of economical transatlantic service the Boeing 707 jet clipper. Come fly with me,
2: let's fly, let's fly. In October 1958, Pan Am inaugurated its 707 jet service from New York to Paris. Another first. It cut transatlantic travel times in half. The jet age had truly arrived, and along with it, the jet set. Come fly
1: with me, let's float down to Peru.
3: You wanted to be a
1: jet setter because that meant you were you were on a fast airplane going to exotic places. Nothing was far away anymore. Remote parts of the world that you wouldn't have dreamed of going without having six months off, you could go visit on a weekend. It was not just the introduction of the jet and the speed and the range, the capacity, uh, but it was also the introduction of the tourist fair. Mass tourism became a, a reality.
0: In the last podcast, I told you about this tourist trip that I took on my two-day Dublin layover where I I, um, got on a tour bus and I went out to Brunabornia, New Grange site. It's an old ruin, it's kind of like Stonehenge. It's, uh, it was, it's, way before Stonehenge, before the pyramids, and they built this dome-like cathedral structure. And once a year, it gets illuminated inside by the sun, like for the winter solstice at sunrise. And they do this great lottery where they pick like 20 people that can go in there on the winter solstice. And for the 17 minutes a year, the sun is in the perfect location that illuminates inside of the cathedral. And uh, I talked to somebody later who actually won that lottery and went there, you know, flew to Ireland (laughs) Went there, and the sun didn't come out. You know, it's winter, December in Ireland, and the sun doesn't always come out. That would be like such a wah, wah wah moment. You know, you get in there, you're all excited, you won the lottery, and you're going to see what these people spent 70 years building 5,000 years ago. And it's a cloudy day. i was <laughs> still going to put in for it. But the interesting thing about that trip that I didn't mention before, which really sort of, to me, illuminates the life of an airline person is when I I ran down to the tourist office in Dublin to sign up for this trip the next day and I'm you know signing up for it and you had to pay a deposit and she says to me um so what hotel are you staying at I literally was thinking uh I know where it is <laughs> she was looking to me like excuse me you don't know where you're staying and I'm like um maybe it's on my keys. I'm going through my purse looking. I honestly didn't know what the name of the hotel was. I knew where it was so I could get back to it. But that's the weird thing about, you know, working for the airline. You're in so many hotels and, you know, so many hotels per week and per month. I didn't know the name of it. (laughs) She's like, you don't know the name of your hotel? I was like, um, no. Well,
5: it was a very recognizable brand, even to people like me from little towns. And It was supposedly next to Coca-Cola in
3: recognition. And they sold Pan Am stuff, you know. People would buy the carrier bags and the little pins and all that kind of stuff. Again, product placement and merchandising well in advance of many other industries. If you notice on Mad Men, uh, Sterling Cooper wants
5: to get the Pan Am advertising account. It's like, wow.
2: Everybody who was anybody flew on Pan Am. I know James always did, when I wasn't flying him, of course.
3: The first two James Bond films, Doctor No one from Russia with Love, what does James Bond fly at Pan Am? Um, when the Beatles arrived in the United States and did a press conference at the airport in New York, what's the plane logo right behind them in huge letters? It's Pan Am. You know, the publicity machine was absolutely incredible. The Beatles were the first flight to New York. Mobbed with all the youngsters and I was at the bottom of the steps when they boarded the aeroplane.
5: Beatles were on board, all of them, in first class, and they were just lovely and funny. Some of the famous people we had were Ava Gardner, Maureen O'Hara, Ingrid Bergman. Debbie Frost was never off the damn thing, <laughs> he always was. <laughs> On the other hand, we had Elizabeth Taylor with Richard Burton. Richard was very nice to us, which I don't think Elizabeth particularly liked, so she could be a difficult passenger. Uh, Sean Connery, and he was very funny. He had nice twinkly eyes. I like that. You're telling me? The Rat Pack, Frank Sinatra in particular, who was a very difficult passenger, very difficult.
0: I'm sure almost all of you heard about the incident with Alec Baldwin, so I'm not going to get into that. But would you believe I saw a list of all the other celebrities that have been thrown off flights? It's actually quite an impressive list. It's uh, Ariana Huffington... Brooke Mueller, Christian Slater, Clay Aiken, Courtney Love, Dave Chappelle, David Hasselhoff, Diana Ross, Ivana Trump, Joan Rivers, Josh Duhamel, Kevin Smith, love him, Monique, Naomi Campbell, Penelope Cruz, Snoop Dogg, and Whitney Houston. Man, that's a lot of celebrities (laughs) getting thrown off planes. What's up with that?
3: Our flight attendants were very carefully chosen. They had to have perfection they were not looking for little hi i'm sandy you know that kind of thing they were looking for people who were sophisticated
6: or could become so we had to be of a certain weight height i think the the blondes appealed in
5: scandinavia they had to speak languages the girls did they were an international airline
3: and they wanted to put this over to the public at large no. We had our choice of the cream of the crop, and we took it.
6: Part of the recruitment process was also having to do a little catwalk, whereby the uh, interviewer would make you walk both ways, do turn. They said, um, could you take that chair? So I had to get
5: up, obviously, want to see me walk, over to the other chair.
6: I remember being asked to um, stand in front of the interviewers, uh, then turn around, walk away, turn around, and walk back towards them.
0: We were on the crew bus, and this guy flight attendant was telling me the story how this real cute, petite, Asian flight attendant had gone into her hotel room, and there was this beautiful bathroom, and she was like, "Wow, this is so nice and there was like a whole wall of mirrors, and she was like, "Wow, this is so pretty and before she knew it, I don't know if other people do this, but because there was a whole you know wall of mirrors, she was kind of looking at herself at different angles and like going, hmm you know huh, huh, hmm, you know, and like looking at her backside <laughs> she's she's checking herself out, see how you know things are holding up and she was doing this for like fifteen minutes before she realized. It wasn't mirrors, it was glass. <laughs> it was like, it was windows. She's preening naked in front of the windows in her bathroom.
5: She also told us that be very careful when abroad. Uh, don't drink the water. Um, clean your teeth in Coca-Cola.
0: So we do have a problem with people uh, undressing these days. So what happened... I I don't know for sure, but I think that's what, you know, brings it on. I
4: mean, I don't take it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to get naked.
0: So what happened on your
4: flight? I had a flight from Tel Aviv to Atlanta one day. A guy was sitting in 2J, second row of the second cabin, out the window. Got up to go to the bathroom, goes forward to the bathroom, and instead of coming back to his seat, he went up to 2J. And sat down in somebody else's seat.
0: And what was he wearing?
4: What was, oh, nothing. He took off all his clothes. Yes, he took <laughs> off all his clothes, but his t shirt, sitting there naked. <laughs> and my passenger from 2J comes to the galley and said, There's a naked guy in my seat. And it's like, Really? <laughs> sure enough, there was. <laughs> and the thing I find funny is that. How would you like to be the guy in the aisle seat waking up with the naked guy standing over you, trying climbing to get in the seat, you. climbing over you to get into the
2: seat?
1: <laughs>
2: Vital to the image was the uniform. Using top Hollywood designers like Don Loper and Edith Head, Pan Am turned out some of the most memorable looks in the business.
6: First day that I actually had to put the uniform on. My shift was starting at six o'clock in the morning and from two, I couldn't sleep. I was dying to get into that
5: uniform. (laughs) The uniforms in the sixties was very definitely a uniform. That changed later. We all had exactly the same. In fact, when you see photographs of us on our graduation, it's difficult to pick yourself out. We all looked like clones.
0: So I was going through security. You know, we do it just like you guys do, always taking off our shoes and everything. And there was a, a pretty blonde behind me and uh, my stuff was coming out. So her stuff and her bins were coming out right behind me. And the TSA agent, a female TSA agent said to this pretty blonde, she goes, are these your, your shoes, ma'am? And the girl was like, yes. <laughs> She's thinking, what's wrong with my shoes? And the and the TSA woman goes, where'd you get them? <laughs> so funny? We've gotten so afraid of these people. She was afraid the lady was going to take her shoes or say something, you know, was hidden in her shoes. And she's like, uh, where'd you get those shoes? There were
6: often romances between flight attendants and pilots. Um, And we did have a lot of young pilots, uh, navigators, and we used to call them baby gators.
0: So, you know, I now live right by the water, and I love that there's uh, dolphins out there, and there's beautiful large birds. So, I really like kayaking, and I had been renting a kayak, but that gets kind of expensive, so... Because you guys have been so generous in supporting this podcast through Amazon.com. If you go to my website, BettyInTheSky.com, and click on my book link for Amazon, there's a little picture of my book there. You don't have to buy my book. And if you're going to buy something on Amazon anyway, once you click through there, I get a little something. And I had used that money, thank you all so much, to buy an inflatable kayak. I thought that might be a good idea because... I don't have a car that you could put a kayak on and I thought this way you know I live on an island and since it's inflatable I could put it in my car and go to other places to put in you know blow it up there and this way it would be more flexible I could see more of the island so I thought it was a great idea the inflatable kayak thing and (laughs) it's really not. I so I inflated it here first and I'm in my living room and that thing is giant. I mean, it took me so long. At first, I just used the pump that came with it. And it's like a, a foot pump. Goodness gracious, it was just a workout getting the thing blown up. And then I think I overinflated it because I was slightly worried about it being seaworthy. <laughs> and so it was so big. I could like barely, I thought, how am I getting it out of the, how am I getting it out of the condo? I could barely maneuver it out of the condo. And then I had, you know, the life vest and the oars, and I thought I should bring the foot pump with me just in case, you know, it deflated. It was really difficult getting it down to the dock. And then it was really difficult getting in because I was afraid it would float away as I was trying to lower myself into it. (laughs) And so then I get it out there and the clouds start changing and it, oh, I thought, oh my gosh, it's going to storm, it'll be lightning, and here I am in an inflatable kayak. (laughs) So... I went back in. I wasn't even out there very long. And it was really difficult getting out of the kayak, inflatable kayak, but I got out of it and I got it back up on the dock. And at this point I was like, and "Boy, this was, you know, this has been a chore so far." And I decided to deflate it cuz it was so heavy getting it down there that I thought I'll deflate it and then I can put it in one of the wheelbarrows and take it back to my condo. And so I went to deflate it and it's like it's so pressurized and big. Actually, and the other thing is, I think I overinflated that darn thing, so it's really hard to paddle over the sort of pontoons on the side, (laughs) and also, it's sort of like, when you're trying to paddle, it goes one way, then the other way, like, zigzags, it doesn't track, (laughs) so, (laughs) but I finally, I, I wanted to get out of it before it started thunder and lightning, so, and I got out of it, and I thought, I'll deflate it, so you know, it's so pressurized. And it was like, pop, 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 the things deflated. And this one guy comes out of the boat. And he's like, what's going on? What's going on? I somebody was like shooting or something. And I'm like, Oh, no, it's me. I'm sorry. It's just my inflatable kayak making a complete fool of myself. So I wasn't that happy with my purchase. But I hate to, you know, um, it just gives something one try. So I decided to do it again the other day. And I, still thankful that you guys you know made it possible for me to buy this inflatable kayak on amazon.com so I I blow it up again and this time I had bought a um, battery operated inflator thing so it was much easier so that was better and I had bought some bungee cords it's funny I bought all this stuff on Amazon with the money you guys so graciously sent and I I uh I blew it up again and this time, I think, as I was worried the last time that it was overinflated, I don't think I inflated it enough. So I did better getting it out of there because I had the bungee cord, so I could kind of attach it to the dock, so I didn't have to worry about it floating away. And I, I get in it, but I think since I underinflated it, at some point it sort of started like sagging in the middle, <laughs> like going up on either end. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I I really don't think this inflatable thing is working out that well. So. Uh, And I did better this time. I let the air out, like, so somebody didn't think, you know, someone was getting shot on the dock because of me and my inflatable kayak. But I have decided that the inflatable thing probably isn't the best idea. So I'm going to get a regular kayak, and I am saving up. So if you guys still continue to go on Amazon.com and click through my website whenever you're going to buy something if you're going to buy something anyway maybe i can save up to get a real kayak <laughs> an actual plastic one <laughs> not an inflatable one i think it would be a better idea and i'll make less a fool of myself
2: So successful the pan-am of the 1960s was not exactly the carrier for the common man that trip had envisaged before his retirement in 1968, he laid the blueprint for one of the most extraordinary aircraft ever to get off the ground, the colossal Boeing 747. The 747
1: was the next logical step after the 707. Um, it, it was the culmination in stretching the envelope to allow the aircraft to, to fly more people at lower lower fares. Trip
3: wanted something bigger, that could carry more people, and with longer range, and um, so we started talking to them and they all said no, it wasn't possible.
1: And mind you, this was a Pan Am idea, a Pan Am concept, originated in one trip's head, and this is what he wanted, and this by God was what Pan Am was going to have.
3: was asking for something impossible Bill Allen listened and dad had
1: this you know after the 707 uh, this very very close relationship with Bill Allen Bill Allen who was the chairman of of Boeing
3: they were standing just outside the door of Mr. Tripp's office and um, Bill Allen said if you buy it I'll build it and Tripp said if you build it I'll buy it and they shook hands and that handshake was better than a written contract. So they went ahead and did it.
2: More than twice the size of a 707, with room for over 400 passengers, the 747 began service in January 1970, changing the nature of air travel forever. The
6: 747, um, until Airbus built the A380, was the biggest aircraft ever built. And if you think that it was designed in the 60s, it was really ahead of its time. You know, it was a very jumbo jet. I can remember landing on a 707 and seeing out of the window this 747 in front of the hangar. Just the one thought I had was how was this aircraft ever going to get off the ground. I couldn't believe it; it would, it would fly. It was so vast. When I first walked on this airplane I said, wow,
3: this is big. Nobody could really understand the size of this airplane.
2: The 747's debut was accompanied by a series of promotional tours to allow a curious public to check out the aircraft for themselves.
3: This aeroplane always got large crowds of people. No matter any country you went into, everybody for miles around suddenly, here is something we can see, we can go and see inside this magnificent aeroplane. There's swarms, hundreds of people coming towards the aeroplane. There's a guy with a broken leg, hobbling up the stairs, <laughs> just walked through the aeroplane, With a broken
4: leg and crutches.
3: It
4: was really an extension of the United States. Pan Am actually had a campaign where they said, if you fly with Pan Am, it's like Uncle Sam is your pilot.
5: Passengers or people generally rather than going to the American embassy or consulate would go to the pan-american office We were always taught you are the face of America, you know, and you're in the front line
4: coming from Cuba uh, The whole when it came time for my family to leave in 1960 My parents booked us on pan-american because once you set foot aboard that airplane you were on u.s. Territory I am sitting here speaking to you in fluent English because on November 9th, 1960, my family got aboard a Pan Am plane, and they didn't take us off. So, it's, uh, I'm sorry. I
0: was flying with this male purser, and he was telling me the week before, he was, they had finished the service, lights were off, it was all dark, and one of the Female flight attendants had come up to him and said, Hey, you know, there's a guy at 3C. He's naked. His pants are off, his underwear off. Everything doesn't have a blanket on. Everything's just hanging out. So he we went back, he woke him up and he said, Hey, man, you know, you got to put your clothes on. The guy was like, Huh? He's like, You got to put your pants on. So the guy put his pants on. Like a half an hour later, somebody else came up and said, There's a naked guy at 3C. The guy's naked. He goes back. The guy had taken his pants off again, taking his underwear off again. So he woke him up again and he's like, Man, he got to. What's wrong with you? Put your pants on. (laughs) You know, this is, these are expensive seats, those lie flat seats. This guy keeps taking his clothes off. And so sure enough, like another half an hour later, somebody came up and said, there's a naked guy peeing over there. The guy had taken his pants off, taken his underwear off, and was peeing right there in his seat. So, you know... This purser I just had enough of him, and later on in the flight, you know, they put the lights on, it's time for breakfast, and the guy's sitting up like nothing happened, and so he went over to him and he said, do you remember what happened last night? And he's like, what happened? Nothing happened. He goes, you kept taking your clothes off. The guy's like, I would never do that. He's like, you did. He's like, no. He's like, yes, you, twice, you took your clothes off. And the guy's like, you know, I beg your pardon. I, I, I'm sure I would never do something like that. So the purser said, so, uh, are your pants dry? And the guy's like, you know, my pants feel a little wet. And he's like, yeah, that's because you peed all over yourself. <laughs> Which was, was proof you know, that he was disrobing in the night. And the guy was, uh, the person was like, hey, man, you know, you got to get control of yourself. You can't be doing this on the first class.
2: Stanham's most significant mission during the Vietnam conflict involved the evacuation of hundreds of orphan children at the end of the world. These planes were just packed with kids, babies, toddlers, and
6: there were babies strapped to the seats. There were babies in boxes under the seats. There were
5: babies in the bathroom. You landed at the airport and they would just run on board, and you fill it up to the gills.
1: For Mashable, I'm Jonah Jabot. Always end up with the crying baby next to you on the plane. If you fly KLM, that could soon be your fault. USA Today reports KLM Dutch Royal Airlines is piloting a new program that allows people to choose their seats based on other travelers' Facebook and LinkedIn profiles. The initiative, which could be available sometime early next year, puts passengers in control of finding and coordinating seatmates with similar likes and dislikes. Sounds like KLM's promoting the Mile High Club. Well, not exactly. TNews notes, on a basic level, a business traveler might not actually be interested in talking business on a flight preferring instead to read the newspaper, listen to music, or catch up on sleep. For the sleepers, KLM is not making the service mandatory. Still, how much can you really learn from someone's vacation profile pic? It's an idea trending with at least one other airline. Malaysia Airlines' Facebook service called MH Buddy lets passengers see if they have any Facebook friends on their flight or headed to the same destination. But be careful not to fall for your seatmate. If there's no connection, it might just be a one-flight stand. For Mashable, I'm Jonah Javad.
2: ...outside the U.S. were also taking their toll. Pan Am's reputation as the flagship U.S. carrier was turning it into a target.
5: Good evening. The hijacking of an American jumbo jet at Karachi the Airport... ...the government firing
2: years. indiscriminately inside, inside the plane. A series of terrorist attacks in the 1970s and 80s further damaged Pan Am's reputation. But the final blow came in December 1988, when Pan Am Flight 103 from London to New York
1: exploded midair over the Scottish town of Lockerbie. The effect of that was, was so calamitous that the airline could never recover from it. Every night, the news would start off with the same image of the nose of this clipper made of the seas. Blue and white, very clearly Pan Am destroyed
3: airplane. Passengers didn't fly on Pan Am because of all the publicity. Um, And then it just became impossible for them to operate, I guess.
1: Pan Am with its big American flag on the tail now is not as dangerous to your health. In January 1991,
2: the airline that had once ruled the skies declared bankruptcy.
3: Unfortunately, we simply did not have the financial strength
1: to absorb the enormously adverse impact of these external events
3: I was down in the courthouse at the bankruptcy hearings when uh, United was bidding for the roots and all oh it was so painful and I'm really glad that Mr Tripp didn't live to see that he died in 81 and um, Pan Am closed its doors December 4, 91
6: The last flight, huge emotion. All my bags are
3: packed.
6: I'm ready Desperate time for us all, and it was the end of an era. To
3: wake you up to say Everybody was watching to wave the airplane off.
6: Every single employee from Pan Am was on the ground in London to see that the aircraft take off.
3: The fire brigade did the arcs, you know, so the the airplane went through the water jets.
6: And the aircraft took off, went around and did a flyover Heathrow Airport, dipping its wings, and then disappeared into the air.
3: And
6: then at that moment, it was the final goodbye, so I still get quite touched about it because it was very, very emotional. It was very sad for all of us. I can remember just bursting into tears. Bursting into tears, it was a loss of one's life.
3: Just cry eyes out. <laughs> and uh, I think a lot of other people did too, you know. it was uh, It was a funeral. Yeah, it, um, it, uh, it was very
1: emotional.
2: For over half a century, Pan Am led the world in commercial air travel. Thanks to the vision of its founder, One Trip, the airline brought glamour, luxury and innovation to the skyways, and inspired generations to travel and explore new worlds. It shrank the globe and shaped our dreams and aspirations, leaving behind an unforgettable legacy.
0: Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I hope you liked the stories from the Pan Am documentary. Originally, I was just going to do one or two, <laughs> and there were so many that were good. I, I really enjoyed it, and I was thinking you might too. So I hope you liked it, and I hope you'll join me again next time for... Another episode of Betty in the Sky with the suitcase, so we can travel the world together. Thanks. Bye.
5: Pan American was much more than a job. Pan American was a family.
3: Just to say that you worked for Pan Am was an honour, uh, because you know wherever you went in the
1: world, you would see the, the Pan Am blue ball. Pan Am was there first. Pan Am was was the innovator, and and should be remembered as that. Every aspect of commercial aviation, they were considered the best.
6: It was an airline like no other. And there never will be any other airline like Pan Am.
3: A lot of people, you can go around the world now on a two-week vacation and it's affordable and a lot of people do so it was worth it